Welcome to the commentary track, the 20th Century Fox logo is coming up right now. My name is Nick Nunziata, uh, you may know me from Chud.com. Uh, I'm also a very big fan of the film Tekken, and I think uh, possibly the reason we're doing this commentary track is uh, as Tekken 2 comes out this weekend, um, they wanted uh, they wanted some professionals to talk about the movie. My involvement in the film is tangential at best. I, I wrote, directed, and starred in the film. Alongside of me... <laughs> Uh, hi, my name is Ren Brown. You may also know me from uh, Chud.com and SquirrelPorn.org. And uh, uh, I, I, little few people know, I actually worked on this film. I was the technician in charge of Squib, Squibs, exclusively for. <laughs> we have a, a, a I'm already failing. We, we, we have a special guest with us um, who I will be reaching to from time to time as little as possible. Uh, Andrew Hawkins, tell us about yourself. Yes, uh, my name is Andrew Hawkins. I'm a technician journeyman, and I have seen Fist of the North Star. Excellent. Uh, brown people. Uh, Tekken uh, <laughs> was the... Res- for brown people. Now, as we watch this film, we see Liam Neeson's character, um, uh, a typical action hero named Brian, who is uh, in his home. Uh, the very soft lighting here by director uh, Pierre Morel. Uh, Pierre Morel, you may know from his other works... Uh, I personally know him because he worked at the Chocolate Factory. Um, he uh, his style is very raw. Uh, working with Luc Besson, uh, that's the kind of that's the kind of shit that Frenchman likes. Um, Luc Besson is um, very famous sellout. Uh, he he worked uh, exclusively uh, in France until he didn't. This scene shows Liam Neeson entering a pawn shop where um, a taxicab driver is behind the counter. Uh, and they are, are looking at items. This is the this is the infamous karaoke purchase scene. Um, this man, you may know him. He was uh, he played uh, alongside Aziz Ansari, I believe his name is in every in every role. Absolutely. And this scene this scene is really notable. Uh, a lot has been written about the subtext of this particular purchase and what it suggests for American and uh, European relations, that kind of thing. Um, also, just because the karaoke machine is sexy as hell. Yeah, well, Liam Neeson, like he he actually uh, he he studied uh, with gift wrappers for two weeks to prepare for this scene, uh, and he became so adept at it. Barnes and Noble hires him in the holiday season. Uh, yeah, he really put the time in in the trenches at Macy's, yeah. uh, and it was right during holiday season. So I know he really roughed it out. Yeah, there was a, they did a take of this scene where he carries a pink elephant. Uh, they figured a few fans of Darkman would take take umbrage with that, so they pulled it away. Introduced here is Famke Johnson as his uh, as his ex-wife, um, a very beautiful woman, um, probably best known for being Michael Douglas's um, injured wife in in uh, that movie where he, his wife's injured. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, Mr. Hawkins, this is the first time I'm going to reach out to you. Um, tell me about the first time, in, in, concisely, tell me about the first time you saw Tekken. Well, the first time I saw Tekken, I was taken aback about how this was just a film regarding a normal everyday man who goes through all kinds of struggle and difficulty to really find himself and his family and reconnect with what he values most. And I think it's a great film for our time. Uh, Maggie Grace plays his daughter. Maggie Grace is famous from Lost and from Grace Under Fire. She's uh, a, a young up-and-coming actress who, who um, was hired by Pierre Morel sight unseen. Uh, he's blind. Yeah. 
Uh, he's also deaf, uh, which is why someone who sounds so much like a vulture. Is and here's the reason why this film was uh, given a budget. Xander Berkeley agreed to star in the film uh, in, in a supporting role, but the financiers did not know this, of course, and uh, instantly greenlit the film based on his involvement. Also, uh, Seabiscuit, also in the film... Uh, most folks thought that Seabiscuit died back uh, in the early days. Uh, Seabiscuit continues. Uh, not cast in the film Seabiscuit, but uh, a runner-up for the role of Warhorse. Um, we'll be talking a lot about this horse over the course of this commentary track because there's a lot of subtext, Kubrickian subtext, in which this horse uh, is, is objectified in various ways uh, throughout the plot. Of when- course, horses and... Morell's uh, filmography obviously, you know, play a big role. They're a repeating image, um, and this one has another goddamn horse. So yeah, got to get into that. Um, the role was originally given to um, Hillary Swank. She she uh, there was a conflict. She got pregnant and and had a fantastic young mare. Um, Liam Neeson's character Brian, um, which is uh, not a good name for an action star. No, it really underplays uh, the everyman quality of this guy who's going to kick a lot of cock into people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Brian kind of, it, it makes you think maybe that's not going to happen. Maybe the trailers lie to you. Maybe he's just going to sit and look at pictures and weep. Well, I think I think uh, a similar problem uh, came up during the early days of ACDC. Like, you can't have a guy named Brian in the band. And uh, look what they've done. They've succeeded. Here is the introduction of some amazing character actors, Leland Orser, John Grise, and that guy from Running Scared. Um, Liam Neeson's character, Brian, uh, enters Tekken as uh, a retired badass. Um, he, he and his group of men um, played very, very well here by these actors. You could see the history between them. John Grise, uh, obviously famous for Fright Night, famous for Napoleon Dynamite, and famous for the saying, do you want Grise with that? Um, he, these guys, uh, there's a backstory here that um, Pierre Morel wanted to shoot. In fact, he wanted this Tekken to be the, the last film in a 12 part trilogy. Oh, yeah, he was going to reverse engineer an entire right. saga. Right, yeah, because, I mean, Maggie Grace gets you in the door, but what he really wanted to do was, was focus on these amazing men, these characters who have obviously fought together, bled together, lost lives together. Also, this scene was originally shot entirely in the nude. Uh, and then kind of an, an unacknowledged uh, commentary on homoeroticism and masculinity, but uh, American audiences shrunk at the sight. Yeah, uh, and, and of course it's reproducing the age-old action hero cliche of a barbecue sequence. Um, uh, famous, if you remember the scene in uh, First Blood, when uh, inexplicably in the middle of the police station a, a barbecue breaks out, um, a good portion of Schindler's List was a barbecue, um, at least to some. And uh, obviously, John Rice and Napoleon Dynamite, the famous barbecue drawing sequence. Um, this actor here holding the beer uh, was in Running Scared, the film by Wayne Kramer, uh, and he played a jerk. And uh, how he channeled uh, his uh, his personal life into this particular role is he, he uh, for two weeks, he spent uh, at a barbecue and uh, watched Darkman. Hawkins, I'm going to go back to you. Um, Leland Orser is a beloved character actor from Seven and from uh, one of the Alien films, and recently uh, he died in an episode of, uh, uh, of uh, Magic City. He did? He really did. Um, what, how important do you, as a, as a scholar, find it ne- uh, that 
a film like this fills the margins with fantastic character actors like Leland Orser and The Horse. Well, when it comes to Leland Orser and The Horse um, and the others, it's definitely a film like Alien where you're really connecting with the... Hold on, this is the skyline. This, wow. is, this is a helicopter shot. All right, we're back. One thing I'd like to note is that John Grise is actually reprising his role from Terror Vision. Now, we see him die in the original film, but he's been reincarnated, put back into this situation, and it just rolls with it. Now, this, uh, this scene is very reminiscent of The Bodyguard, and they, they were going to use Whitney Houston had she remembered how to swim. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, th- there's a lot of cultural commentary, again. We're, we're, we're ga- digging into some really uh, deep subtextual issues about uh, cultural cunts. Yeah. See, the, the girl who plays this, uh, this rock star, um, she's not famous, uh, but only because she's unattractive and not talented. Um, exactly, which was a which was a keen choice. Yeah. I mean, very um, now the idea being that um, when when hard men retire from their hard business, uh, they go into a world of, of bodyguards and bouncers and, and and somewhat substandard careers where people don't give them the respect they've they've earned. Um, now on the along the same lines is um, this girl right here. Uh, she was discovered while Pierre Morel was urinating. Uh, he was in a, in a stall, and she had been passed out directly underneath his genitals. Um, and he knew. He's like, uh, this is like one of those moments. This is going to be on the IMDb trivia page, found under my balls. And, um, you know, it's funny. In some languages, the, they, the transcription of this film, when they watch the subtitles, her name is under the balls, not Shira. Um, this scene here is this is all build up. This is the life this is the life Liam Neeson has grown accustomed to. He's divorced, he's put everything he had into his wife, and now he lives a, a life where these little fleeting moments of contact with his loved daughter uh, really keep him going. It's obvious that uh, that this means something to Liam Neeson having just lost his wife. This was his uh, this was his way to uh, take that tragic uh, moment and turn it into something. Obviously it led to a career resurgence. Um, Liam Neeson action figure sales are up. Stuffed animals sales have gone up. His number is the most number one piece of uh, Tekken uh, merchandise. Uh, I believe you mean Tekken. I do. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think it's great. It's great. This this saved his career. It saved his career right here. And um, uh, look at the smile. I mean, like, an Irishman doesn't smile. That's, like, one of the policies. But Liam Neeson... Really sells it right there. He, he he's a good actor. Also has a comfortable territory. He has a huge penis as well. Well, yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think this is the happiest we've actually seen him since Crawl, I believe. Yes, uh, and his banker as well. Now here, now here we're really setting up because this this in a in a traditional studio film this would have been cut out immediately um, because Leland Orser's in it, but also because this is a movie about a daughter being kidnapped. And then a man rescuing her. And I didn't mean to provide a spoiler. That's what happens. Now, here's the attack. Look at how quickly Brian dispenses justice. Being as efficient as he gets, you do not get to be this kind of a badass without real training and commitment to your Which is mostly came at the hand of Master Yoda. And uh, all the Jedi techniques that they've set up in every film uh, are, are evident in this uh, sidequel. Now, this, this stuff here... This is kind of uh, a fat. So while this is happening, we'll talk a little bit about how Tekken came to be. Um, originally, his character's name was Terry. Um, they had to change that because there was another action film coming out with a guy named Terry. Uh, and then Little Pete. Um, and the, obviously the Little Pete franchise is kind of just getting off the ground now with John McTiernan. Yeah, and the Little Pete drafts of Tekken are uh, you know, some of the most 
uh, sought after rare scripts in Hollywood, but if you ever can get a hold of one of those, uh, they're great to read. I mean, obviously this is a, a masterpiece what, what came to be, but to, to go back and see what was originally planned with the, uh, the catacomb uh, chase and the, the mummy sequences, all, all of those things, uh, you, you really should give it a shot. Yeah, uh, it's funny, Liam Neeson kind of was in, a, it was in a dark place when this came to be, and he initially came to say, He felt that that was that was, uh, that was part of his character's motivation. He also and wanted. They shot a few scenes that way uh, before they. Uh, they did, and they did. I, those down. may be on the DVD. Keep in mind, this is the extended version of the film that we're watching here. Right. So those sequences may have been reinserted since I downloaded it on iTunes. But oh, the boy. the other thing to, to to keep in mind was another one of his stylistic decisions was he did not want to use a vehicle in the entire film, which is weird because there's a car chase, there's a scene on a boat. Right. He had a very strict no-vehicle policy. He wanted everything to happen when he clicks his shoes. Absolutely. So he wanted to have a fight scene uh, to the death where he's clicking his heels the whole time and teleporting him and his assailant all across the galaxy. And this is also a time when he was he was struggling very hard to pitch a version of the script which had Orson Welles uh, as himself uh, appearing as kind of a, a ghost of sorts, a guide that would point him in, in the correct direction when he couldn't figure out what door to open, these kinds of things. Uh, and uh, they worked very hard, spent supposedly around $20 million on, on the previs and uh, effects development, and it just did not work out. Speaking of previs, that shake looks like pre-jizz. Um, now, this divorced couple stuff, um, originally Pierre Morel wanted this to be kind of uh, extended universe sequel to Kramer versus Kramer. This is what could have happened. Uh, Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep could have broken up and then he gone and fought terrorists. Of course. Um, so that was kind of like when they were on the set, they had a, they had a laugh about that because obviously uh, Tekken and Kramer versus Kramer uh, featured different stars, but there's still that neat extended universe element to it. Now here, Famke uh, is representing um, one's ego. Uh, the battle that he is facing between his desire to literally have sex with his daughter and his ability to feed her. Uh, he, he's got that, that paternal thing going on. But, but Famke represents uh, what's right. And he knows something's wrong, but he wants something right. But even though she's bringing something wrong, there's always that wannabe right going on. Absolutely. Yes. This is one of those scenes where uh, you can actually, most of what you're seeing is CGI effects because uh, the, the day that this. Uh, particular, se- particular sequence was shot, they, they actually for- just forgot the camera at uh, Morell's house where he had been using it the night before for uh, some of his activities. Uh, so they shot it entirely on a Game Boy camera, um, which obviously the resolution is not very high, it's not in color, so a lot of this is augmented effects. Uh, and you'll see that a few times throughout the movie. You have to look pretty hard uh, to find it, but it's there. Now if you notice the glow on the characters, uh, you would think that this was shot at the Magic Hour. But all of the Magic Hour stuff shot for Tekken um, was literally shot during Magic Hour, and nothing got done because the amazing Jonathan hogged the spotlight. Of course. So it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but there's uh, the film did so well that it recouped most of that magician budget. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, going back to Mr. Hawkins, yes. um, Liam Neeson has become a superstar through the back door. He has. He has, um, but his sexual preferences notwithstanding, where do you think? Uh, what do you think makes him so compelling as an action hero, as a man over forty? 
Well, I believe as a man over 40, I mean, his interest to the audience is that he is the everyman. He's the dour, interested party who has to deal with everything around him, but manages to keep his cool, whereas some other actors would go off the rails at times. He's always composed, and that sort of sets the tone for everyone who wants to be that ultimate badass. Speaking of the ultimate badass, Mar- Maggie Grace here is wearing what they call a peasant top. Um, and what that does is it accentuates the wrong shit on your body. Uh, and she, she rocks it. She pulls it off really well, because she's obviously playing a much younger character than she is. Maggie Grace is 53 years old. Playing his daughter, talent, it's talent, comes to the forefront. In Lost, she managed to play a survivor and the plane crash. She did a fantastic job in that. Here she is hugging her father, which once again reawakens his sexual predatory nature towards her. Of course. Um, when, when, we, when we start introducing the, the wolves that will threaten most of the characters in this plot, you'll really see that subtext start to pay off. Yeah. I mean, honestly, one of his goals, I mean, Brian wants to bang. That's his goal. I mean, he's oh, absolutely. he's willing to go no jump through any hoop, kill any terrorist in order to get to that fucking taint. But in the meantime, look at this! Look at this performance he's giving. Look, he cares about his daughter. He's preparing her for the inevitable capture she will definitely receive, and uh, he's handling it with such Maggie Grace. Absolutely. Uh, now this is a this is a poor man's process. In this this shot, um, they're constantly running over the homeless. Oh yeah, yeah, which is kind of neat. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really outstanding work, which I think kind of brings us to the the tragedy of how ignored this was around Oscar time. Uh, it, it did receive several nominations, it's true, uh, for score, supporting actor, for the horse, uh, a few other you know random technical awards, uh, that kind of best water sports sequence, that kind of thing, but uh, didn't win any actually, and it, was largely ignored at the ceremony. Surprisingly, it won the Preakness. And uh, it didn't do well at Oscar time, but Liam Neeson excels at Burger time, um, oh, yeah. which is trivia f- directly ripped from his IMDb page. Um, Liam Neeson obviously supposedly has, has something like twenty-five classic Burger time cabinets in his home, something like that. Uh, and and he's been known to shout in the night, "It's Burger time!" Irritating the Hollywood Hills oh, yeah. um, and the people in it. The um, now as he drives his daughter to the airport, slang, they. Um, they're discussing, you know, he's being a protective father because he wants to be the one to pop the shit out of that hymen, you know. Oh, of course. Uh, so he's he's very smart. Now this is this is the sacrificial best friend. Um, the actress they got for this part um, was very late to the party. Alfred Woodard was supposed to play that role, and unfortunately there was a conflict. Uh, she was being completely ignored by casting agents right across town. Uh, that map, by the way, uh, drawn by Stephen Root. Fantastic, fantastic trivia. I didn't know that. This man with the salt and pepper colored hair, um, you may know him as a waiter at Boa Restaurant in Santa Monica. He also is the inventor of licorice, which is surprising. Um, Fomke returns. Here's what I question. He drove her to the airport. Why did they take two cars? Los Angeles. Why would you take two cars to the airport? Well, I think that really drives in the wedge between these two and shows you the kind of chasm, the cavernous maw of hatred that exists between these two and the sort of thing that will that will really pay off or sets up the, the well-paid-off fuck-hate scene later in the film. Yeah. 
Liam Neeson, some more trivia about him. Um, his skin is so tough a beard can't en- exit the skin. True, he's got a true. massive. He's got a massive beard just under the surface, which is why um, there's already a bounty for his head in most Nepa- Nepalese countries. Um, he is. Uh, he's a stout man. Uh, if you've seen Excalibur or Rob Roy or his home videos, this guy is uh, every bit a strapping a strapping dude. There's nothing fake about him. She's looking up to him. He's not on. He's not on a box. He's standing on his own hands. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and in fact, most of the scenes required everything else in the scene, cars, people, buildings, to be rebuilt on uh, two-foot stilts uh, just to match heights with them. Uh, they considered getting a, a de-kneeing, as it's called, uh, in the industry. It's something a few actors have chosen to do, but uh, Neeson roundly rejected that, yeah. and uh, hence the inflated budget. Now, in the longer version of this scene, uh, he gets a last jab to Fonke before they split up because you cunt. Yeah. And uh, they cut it out. They felt that might that might um, that might offend cunts. Yeah. Um, now, instead of actually filming in Paris, they showed a, a shot a, a, sh- a shot of Paris. Absolutely. Um, but in actuality, this was all shot. I believe this was shot in is in my is Michigan. Michigan. Is this a Michigan yeah, film? It was Michigan. It was indeed. Um, Flint, now th- I believe. Flint, um, which will be which is kind of funny because Flint is a character from GI Joe. Um, this man right here plays uh, a very disposable man. Um, he's a, a plot device. Yep. He's a non-player character. He, he provides some information, uh, introduces the evil element, and then falls from a, high, a height. And then, and, then, and then a vehicle gives him something. Exactly. Um, Johnny Foreshadowing, I believe his, his character's yeah. name is called. Now, Mr. Hawkins, you, uh, you've spent some time overseas. How real is the threat of, of a nubile American getting um, going on a sightseeing run and then getting fucked by life? Oh, it's an absolute threat. I think any nubile American going through any kind of foreign territory needs to be on their guard every time because once one is fucked, that's it. It's all over. Yeah, that's 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 true. That's that's very that's very insightful. Um, now, uh, one of the uh, the stipulations in Maggie Grace's rider. In her contract, uh, no bees. There's no bees allowed to be within yeah, a mile of her enti- person. This was an entirely bee-free set, which is, is very unusual for this kind of production. Uh, it took a lot of uh, arrangement to make that happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's it's. A, I mean, obviously, uh, she was up for the Nicolas Cage role in The Wicker Man, and that 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 fine print fucked her hard, man. It's a, it's a good thing that she's been able to rebound from that. Uh, she obviously appears as well in Tekken Two. Um, she um, and it's arguable that she would not have uh, gotten her place in this franchise had she not stuck to her guns in the other, and then she would just you know bees all over the place. Yeah, right. She can't have that. Yeah, I mean, and it's 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 a threat. Even the bees have first subtitles in the movie, which were uh, actually drafted um, by ancient monks. Uh, so there's some real care went into those words. Yeah, this is definitely a historical document. Um, I mean, okay. Telltale sign that this is a red shirt. She's wearing Uggs. Of course. Yes. One of the unwritten rules in film history. If you're wearing Uggs. Which is, was a precedent established by the original Star Trek film, but just kind of a, a less noted. Yeah. Just indicates instant death. Yeah, Ensign Ugg. I mean, if you remember Ensign Ugg in the third episode. Absolutely. He set the pace. Absolutely. Red shirt, yep. furry boots, graveyard. She's going nowhere good, and you can tell by her fucking footwear. Now they're rocking out. 
Now, many bands were approached for the soundtrack of this film. Pierre Morel is a huge Neil Diamond fan. Neil Diamond was unavailable. I believe uh, they cut the scene to Coming to America. Okay, uh, that's that's news to me as well. Um, uh, and then, I, if I remember correctly, they also had um, Carrot Top provide a soundtrack just of cri- clicks, grunts, and his own orgasm sounds, nice. which actually, uh, on the Blu-ray, you can listen to as an alternative comedy track. It's great that they actually cut the Carrot Top soundtrack into Arthur and the Minimoys. So Luc Besson finally did get his out of this. That's fantastic. Now, Liam Neeson is trying to call his daughter. If he would have just had a good daughter, this may have all been avoided. Absolutely. And, and Tekken would have been a, just a, a sweet story about a family rekindling and a horse really kind of getting everything it had coming to it. Now, this scene is where uh, things get very tight and specific. The trailers are cut around this. This is the, the key sequence. So this is where uh, uh, Morell had his uh, good pal, uh, Gary Trudeau, uh, the illustrator of the Doonesbury comic to come in and very tightly storyboard this sequence because every shot, every frame, every second matters in conveying the the stress and terror of this particular scenario. So the, the now, very great work. From the Mr. the Trudeau. pants she's wearing are some some call them capris, some call them culottes. I call them penis shrivelers. Mm, um, yes. Maggie Grace. This is one of the things they did to make her seem younger because, like I said, she's a virile woman. She's not a child. No. She has been entered and exited more than I care to mention. Yeah, I mean, since um, her, her debut in the late 60s, uh, you know, she's yeah. ridden different so, ways. So these pants do a good job towards euthening her and um, euthanizing the hard-ons of the crowd, which is good because this scene needs to be all about terror. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, it's terrible. Now, uh, you'll see in this sequence evidence uh, of just the raw difficulty of production. Trying to shoot this was very difficult because uh, um, the different keys in the various departments accidentally hired uh, a a crew entirely comprised of reptiles. So uh, other than a few specific department heads, there were no human beings uh, operating equipment, moving lights, setting up production design, things like that. It was entirely... Uh, geckos and alligators, that, that sort of things, uh, which is not, that's only been accomplished three times in Hollywood history uh, where a production is pulled through in that circumstance. Also, the seminal character from that was involved, which gave it a little bit more credibility and an attachment to Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, and trivia, his CGI has not improved uh, even a little bit. So Now, this scene obviously is famous because this is the scene where we get to see the many uses of old cell phones. Um, Maggie Grace uh, is going to get taken. Oh, yes. Otherwise, the film wouldn't have been called Tekken. Um, this is intense. This showcases how quickly Brian could become an assailant, a tough machine. Uh, he's, he, 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 he knows the clues to glean from her capture. Um, this is textbook shit right here. Absolutely. Uh, and they spent, I believe, something like three weeks rehearsing this phone call exchange between Neeson and Maggie Grace. Uh, min, many dozens of drafts, uh, and I believe the final take, they rolled something like a million feet of film uh, between the two and really honed it down uh, from into something I, I would call biblical. Yeah, um, and it's funny because like they shot a few scenes with Colin Farrell um, in a phone booth under the bed uh, just to create that extended universe thing, and they just didn't fly with test audiences. They really got tired of seeing him. They thought Kiefer Sutherland's voice in the phone was forced. Um, so they went back to Maggie Grace. Liam Neeson here is obviously very upset. Now, this 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 is funny because they shot the scene. This is a reshoot. 
this was when he found out just how much his back end cut was. So right. you can see there's sweat on his brow, his hair is stringy, and uh, you look at that. There, that is the look of, uh, of consternation. He could give a fuck what his daughter's doing right now. You know, it's actually interesting. He did ask about his character motivations during this role. And just like you said earlier, it was him being told, you're gleaning the clues, you're Christian Slater, you're sweating, you're troubled. Do it. Yeah, Pierre Morel is uh, very much uh, a, a, an obscure motivator. He, um, he, pulls, he pulls from weird places and then puts it into weird places. And that's, uh, that's, that's his technique. That's why Luc Besson worships him. Yeah, and you'll see the, the, the looks of terror the sounds of terror as we all know this was the scene in which Pierre Morel had her literally murdered on the phone and her appearances in, in all subsequent scenes and films has been entirely of course uh, CGI and, and, and the the yearly Andy Circus and Andy Circus of course and the early tributes to her are very touching um, and the, the box office receipts I think for this film are, are a real testament to her dedication to this role by being ripped to shreds and destroyed uh, for this, for this film. Um, now, obviously, uh, this film falls in line in a, in a very lengthy series of, of, of muscular action films shot for a cost. And, uh, and that's why you get an actor like Liam Neeson. Uh, you could not pull this off with a major, major Hollywood star like uh, Brad Pitt or Michael Wincott or any of those kind of guys. You have to go with somebody who is... Uh, Fresh. Even though Liam Neeson has been everywhere all the time throughout every day, um, he's not what you consider in the same manner as George Clooney, Steve Buscemi, uh, Michael Papajohn. It's it's just a completely different situation. So this was a, a coming of age, and right after this, you notice Hollywood greenlit tons and tons of action movies starring people that you expect, um, like uh, Live Free or David Strathairn. Um, you had uh, the Lethal Weapon. Uh, it hasn't been filming up anymore. Danny Glover reprising his role, and then of course Jesus Christ, um, the Passion of the Christ. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, uh, who's the guy that got to play Jesus in the remake? Uh, I believe Sean Combs. That's yeah. right, Puffy Combs. Which was a, a long process to figure it out. Yeah, which is also what they used on the set of uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. Um, so here we go. Uh, the daughter's been taken. That's fucked. That's over. Really, this is the end of the movie as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never watched past this point, so you gentlemen are going to have to lead me through this. Well, basically, for the next hour, he rummages through her belongings. <laughs> I understand. That's Which uh, is allegorical for what he really wants to do. Of course. Uh, now, now, obviously, this is where we see the replacement father um, is a man of means, but he's not a man of action. So what the man of action does is he takes those means and buys another Burger Time cabinet. Indeed. In fact, I do believe I've heard of the scene. Uh, they actually had to trim it down uh, for one take. He, he pushed forward that desk where a computer sits, and he pulled out a plug and plugged it back in and did that repeatedly for about six hours um, and then demanded that that be in included in the original cut. And it took weeks of negotiation to to to, let, to get that out of the film. Now you got to love a film uh, that uses a, lo a lot of phones. Um, I mean, we're looking at phones with cords, phones without cords. This is a this is a telltale sign that this film was shot 
in 2000, like, what, nine? Yeah, something like that. Also, it's um, really a mystery. No one actually knows. There's not a lot of recorded documents. So we, we've had to kind of piece things together from the evidence present in the film. Um, but these fucking old phones uh, do kind of give Now, us I'm going to ask you, as, as individuals, uh, if you were a parent in Mr. Andrew Hawkins and, and your daughter was taken, how far would you go to retrieve her? Well, I'm pretty sure I would uh, go as far as I had to. Um, intergalactic distances, really, regardless. Um, although I would draw the line at interdimensional travel, just due to the fact that I am not physically conditioned for that as of yet. How far if she were, had Down syndrome? Um, I would probably sit down in my chair, and that'd be about it. All right, Mr. Mr. Brown, the same question to you. Uh, well, if my daughter was taken, uh, I, I know I would first run a Google search, uh, something along the lines of, where is my daughter? Uh, I'd click through the first couple of pages of results, and hopefully either that or the image search would give me some kind of clue. If not, I would uh, go ahead and just watch a, a, a rewatch of the Seinfeld series, and likely and masturbate. Okay. These are uh, the CinemaScore polled families leaving the theater, and they basically the same answer um now Liam Neeson has already hopped a plane I mean let's face it Brian sits on no laurels uh except on the plane he no, sat on he, he gets the fuck out there yeah he's there and now he's in Detroit looking around now Liam Neeson uh, we've seen him walk on a ledge in many films um but not quite like this uh how he researched this was pretty interesting he um he has Prince of Persia on his Mac. Mm, yes. Played it extensively. Uh, Pierre Morel um, shot this uh, basically uh, verbatim from from the Commodore 64 version of the game. And I, I, what a good job. Yeah, I mean, the results are, are fantastic. That's a key moment in the, the film. Uh, truly exciting stuff. Now let's talk about the controversy of Tekken. Um, you know, there was a lot of picketing going on outside the theaters when this came out. Um, there was even uh, some controversy on set that the, the protests were starting that early. Okay. Now, uh, now, obviously, it's a hot, it's it's a hot political topic. Um, the theft of people. Yes. Um, th- for some reason, throughout history, people have really not enjoyed being stolen, especially uh, as in this film when they're meant to you know be reduced purely to holes uh wet holes but you know not exclusively yeah now here we're seeing a different perspective on the tragedy um through through a shaky camera uh he is using his 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 powers of mentalism to piece together what happened um which also feeds to the to the controversy now mr hawkins um when the film was about to be released, remember CNN did a lot of uh, articles and, and, yes. and news stories about this controversial film. They were basically saying it's the next Last Temptation of Christ. It's True. it's it's the next um, uh, it's the next blockade. Uh, it's the next um, Greece two. It's gonna it's gonna be incendiary. Here's Liam Neeson under the bed. Um, how did you react? Did you want to see the movie more because it featured action or because it was uh, something that would, would stretch you as a fundamental Christian? Well, honestly, it was really about the controversy. Um, the fundamental Christian aspect of it wasn't really anything that I gravitated towards as much as the fact that I was living in Germany at the time, so I had to go and see it at the Kino Theater. And one of the significant things about the film was that certain scenes were cut by the Deutsche Republic because of their connections to telekinesis, and they don't believe in that. 
So I thought, why not? Let's do this. Let's watch it subtitled in German. Let's go. Uh, I think it should be noted, uh, this pr- the previous scene under the bed, uh, it's one of the few that was so specifically storyboarded and shot that if you were to overlay the two scenes uh, when Liam Neeson is under the bed and, and Maggie Grace is under the bed, uh, their genitals line up and uh, create a, kind of a Rorschach test form that you can you know pull all kinds of different imagery out of. Uh, and also, this scene is very important where he's rummaging through a, a conveniently broken uh, uh, cell phone to get this SD card and then he slots it into, again, this is another place where Neeson, several hours of him slotting that piece in and out. He wanted that that, um, that penetration subtext, and Morell and him fought on every day on set about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, he was very upset. What he originally wanted was to get an STD from his daughter, and he ended up just getting an SD. Uh, I think it still works, but I think the film does lack some of the menace it could have had. Now, here we see him zooming in. This is a, this is a reference to Blade Runner. It is. Um, uh, Brian James was unavailable for this film. So, so they did what they, they used Maggie Grace. Uh, still works. And here, through um, the use of the digital means, he sees a villain. lot of movies featuring Liam Neeson where in Excalibur uh, there's a scene where uh, he's trying to figure out who ate his mutton. Uh, he goes into the king's chambers and zooms into an old painting, finds the mutton thief. So this is this is nice to see him revisit themes from previous films. Absolutely. And originally that scene did take place in a Walmart at a Kodak branded kiosk. Uh, but that uh, clearance rights actually fell through and that entire scene had to be again extensively CGI'd and rebuilt. Now here, uh, here we that. see Liam Neeson pushing a man's face. Um, the first uh, of many. Oh, absolutely. Now he's punching the man in the back seat. If you know what I mean. We do. Okay. Yeah, it is. Um, now uh, this is allegorical for the act of romantic gay sex. Uh, he kicks a man in the face and in the groin, which is also something that uh, Liam Neeson takes great pride in. And something that does happen often at this specific Paris airport. Also, uh, you'll you'll note in uh, classic films like The Godfather, uh, symbology is used a lot. In that specific example, uh, oranges are present in most scenes of death. Uh, Morell wanted to kind of emulate that a little bit, so in, in the Tekken series, death is always accompanied by a giant, massive erection uh, scene at the front of Liam Neeson. So you should really watch out for that at the beginning of the film. Sometimes it's very subtle, but it's always evident. This actor here um, is a method actor. Um, he said, I want Tekken to be my last role. Uh, I would really like to do my own stunts. Uh, he, that's, his, that's his khaki jacket. He didn't. There's no set dressing, no, no costuming, nothing. Now, um, Liam Neeson's chasing him, even though earlier in that day he stubbed his, his toe on, on a plastic uh, Marshmallow Man toy from Ghostbusters, continued to play his part because he's dedicated to his craft. That was a real stunt. That is a real zoom into Liam Neeson's face. Yeah, that truck is real awesome. coming towards the man, but everything else in the scene is fake. Here we go. This is where he leaves the film. And that indeed is one of the best parkour deaths since Punisher War Zone. Very significant. Absolutely. Yes, this that that was featured on parkour, parkour and recreation last season. Now um, Liam Neeson is crestfallen. He, he had a lead. His lead is now wet on the ground, so he has to figure out the next course of action. And this is where the film really starts to, to unwind its bony fingers. This actor here um, is uh, is known as Francis Kevin Spacey. He is because he is also a closeted homosexual. Yes. Um, now. This stuff sets up Liam Neeson's character Brian's reach. 
This guy has seen everything, met everybody, and his tendrils reach out all over the place. Do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, he, he's fucked across the plains, across the world. Uh, he has deep hole contacts, and uh, yeah, I think, and I think this is something we're going to see explored in uh, hopefully Tekken Two and Tekken Three. If you watch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, um, these scenes line up. There's a, a scene where um, where uh, Mark Strong walks past an alleyway. This is what's happening outside that alleyway. Absolutely. It's fucking amazing how many films tied to this. Tekken is sort of like the Kevin Bacon of, of action films. Um, if you if you have the opportunity to watch Ronin, which was filmed like over 12 years before this, there's a scene where Stellan Skarsgård exits a bathroom um, flicking a dingleberry. And if you look, um, this, this Kevin Spacey lookalike catches it pockets it and it shows up later in this film absolutely yeah and and that's something uh, Morel has a deep seated interest and lust for wormholes and that kind of space faring theory so the film is very subtly loaded with that which has empowered him to, to, to run the DNA of so many action films into this now, this is the infamous receiving a business card scene um, that people have uh, done uh, productions in their high school of uh, it's something that's been uh, it's it's become one of those things. It's, There's it, been a long gestating Broadway attempt to, to get this this scene kind of expanded. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen, uh, but it, it's something they've been looking into for many years. Yeah, here's your next subtitle, which is good to see. Um, Always. Yeah. Now, as somebody who is a huge fan of um, um, subterfuge in filmmaking. Um, what is it about Tekken that really speaks to you as a, a student of film, Mr. Hawkins? Well, I think uh, when we're talking about Tekken, the underlying subtext of pretty much everything that's going on is so significant when it comes to sexual tension and discovery of the individual that it's almost a learning experience and one that you can sort of mold your own life on. Um, it's one of those films that really connects, and that's one of its greatest feats. It should be noted that about 37% of the final production budget was actually uh, spent licensing the typeface uh, for those sequences in which uh, brown people and foreigners speak their dumb languages uh, and converted into, of course, God's English. Um, and that process was very costly. It is. Um, now, if you sync up Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon with Tekken, this is the point in which you'll realize that was a huge mistake. I think it's a much better mistake to probably sync up Primus's pork soda with this film because here you really get the sense that Les Claypool does know how to play bass. Now, this man here with Liam Neeson uh, looks an awful lot like the lead singer of Men at Work after some hard years. Uh, he is not that man. This is just a character actor that Pierre Morel used in a previous film. This guy's claim to fame is that um, in addition to being a, a small part actor, he also um, is the guy who holds the patent on, uh, on 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 Patrick Stewart's muff. Yes. Uh, now we have the entrance of uh, some ladies of the night. Um, this is a sequence. Uh, not many people know this. Uh, it was included in a very rare pressing liner notes of the the DVD, uh, Best Buy Steelbox exclusive. But uh, this does not work on mobile devices, so you can't. You, you need a pretty large TV to do this. But if during this scene you uh, smash your the screen repeatedly you'll have a great time that's good to know um, whores are, are, are a big part of these films um, because they are disposable trim much like irreversible yeah I mean and and one of the things that goes hand in hand with a nice gritty action film is, is the knowledge that 
no audience wants to see Brian go jackhammer himself to get the stress out, right? I mean, th- like there are scenes that were shot and, and removed from RoboCop where RoboCop um, has to go hammer one out because he is so taken aback by the by the amount of grief he has you know partaken of. No exception here. Brian um, is often pleasuring himself in this film, and I think the idea that he communicates with hookers tells he knows that's a good place to drop a load in between assailants. And I believe that's one of the reasons that many of these scenes were taken out of the German cut, because, in fact, he is actually having sex with these women using his telekinesis powers. And again, they don't believe in that. Now, Liam Neeson, is. uh, this is the first time you see somebody kind of get the upper hand, but then you realize Brian is just trying to be submissive because some shit's about to go down. Watch. Yeah, absolutely. This is a key scene. You you really got to keep your eye out for the details and uh, another uh, very specifically storyboarded. This is the, if you were lucky lucky enough journalist to be invited to set, this is the weekend that they did the uh, press visits. And um, off off screen, uh, Liam Neeson uh, started what um, authorities called the most impressive Oreo fight they've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the reports on that were quite amusing to, to... also, um, uh, you know, to, to to help achieve the look of this film, Pierre Morel and his cinematographer watched Carbon Copy. Um, they watched that, and they watched um, Mississippi Masala. And they clue as well. They pieced the entire film together using those uh, those uh, resources until the reshoots when they completely forgotten that Mystic River has a sequence involving a cookie fight. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and... Uh, Keep your eyes out because there, there's a few shots in here that uh, needed to be replaced. So the, they're actually recreated entirely in stop motion. Uh, Henry Selleck was brought in to advise. Um, very, very acute attention to detail. So they're, they're hard to pick out, but uh, just keep an eye out yeah, for them. Yeah, there's a few scenes that don't come off quite as well, and that's because they accidentally brought Tom Selleck. Yes. And he's just not really gifted in that way. Now, um, another interesting aspect of Tekken um, is that uh, all throughout the production... They thought this film was a musical. Um, in the editing room, they say films are discovered in the editing room. They realized they had forgotten to write songs. Absolutely. So yeah. I think that what they did, they did a very good job of finding a way to grease up. Uh, the- uh, this is where you can see a cue of the Wing Circuit cameo. He's actually perched uh, in, that, in that building in that first shot. That's knowledge. This is this is where the film kind of goes to shit. By the way, um, this is talk shit. Part of the film. This is mainly driven by Luc Besson and very bad French techno electro. Yeah, like too many people get killed here by Brian. Um, I think a little bit goes a long way. Um, Brian, I think Brian kills the entire shipyard. It's pretty much true. The body count for this scene eclipses almost any other film that year. Do you think that, um, like, uh, at any point in the production, Liam Neeson kind of realized that, oh my god, I've got to kick everybody's ass all this all this time. There's not a lot of drama here. He, this guy, he's, he's, he chews dialogue. He chews dialogue like the fat girl. Oh, yes. Uh, what's this? What's going on here? Now, he's finding whores, right? He's finding girls that have been repurposed for the use of, of cum recipients, right? Absolutely. And, and uh, some, some character actors are actually sprinkled out uh, through through these rooms of fucking as well. Uh, so you just got to keep your eye out. There's some great ones. Is this... Uh, now, Marge Helgenberger is not in this particular sequence. So. Uh, no. Uh, she uh, was originally a negotiated cutout, maybe appearing in Tekken 2. 
Okay. Now he finds this is a this is a clue. He remembers his daughter was wearing this as she ran. The surprising element is he wasn't looking at the jacket when she ran away. In reality, so if he would have found her, if he would have found her pants, that would have been more telling. Uh, Absolutely. Here's a drugged whore, um, not his daughter. Uh, so he uh, he wisely pops a load in her and moves on. Absolutely. Uh, although this is where we do start to see uh, some real investigative prowess uh, from Ryan. Uh, he, he's great at like taking all the different pieces of the puzzle and putting them together, jamming them into places, putting them in him, in himself, excreting them again, taking the juices and the processes, and, and, and blending them together to get a, a real picture of what's happened in the world. And then again, he runs a Google search and finds out where he needs to go to yeah. get his daughter. Now this is, this is shot for shot um, from the machinist right here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right up to that. And then and then then it goes back into there. That's Tekken. This guy walks in. He tries to kill, but instead he shoots a girl right in the midsection. Um, that's another character actress. She's no more. Yeah, this is where it starts to get really exciting. We've got our first bits of gunplay, and now uh, we've got our first bit of, of, of car chase. The promise of car chases and the scale of the action really increasing. And where it just becomes complete. Yeah. Um, a lot of windows were harmed in the set of this film. Um, some rights groups did speak out. I think we really do get a feel for the tragedy of the cars in this scene. It's just waste. It's absolute abuse. And the vehicular slaughter in this sequence is just something that many tears have been shed over. Yeah. Um, uh, the stunt coordinator for this movie was rapidly fattening Kathleen Turner, which was her first her first uh, job in the business as a stunt coordinator. I think she pulled it off. Absolutely. Now, he's driving a Jeep, um, and that is allegorical, um, once again, for his... his uh, he's got a Cubert machine at home. Yes, he doesn't play that nearly as much as Burger Time, but it does get some attention. I hear he's pretty solid at it. Yeah, now, these guys are trying to shoot him, um, and they suck at it. Oh, they are failing. They are failing miserably. Many bullets are spent in this scene, and we get a sense of his almost invincibility. Now, there's a guy that's there's a guy that's not enjoying his afternoon at all. Now, this is uh, again where the a reptilian cast uh, really made this difficult. So, to to accomplish the sequence, uh, Neeson and, and his stunt crew uh, choreographed this very complex car chase, and uh, the production actually set up 467 separate cameras, and it was all done in one take. Yeah, and, and and the problem with shooting with lizards is they change color, so he had they had to go back and post and ethnicize some of these things because the last thing you need is a purple black man. Um, now here we go. Somebody's about to be grievously injured. That man did not enjoy it, and there's another guy. This guy. There's another guy that's really going to shit his pants. Do you do you understand? It's very close to happening. This and here we see that the pants were shit. No, th- it's going to get worse for him before it gets better. Um, luckily, this came out before Ryan Dunn. Now, here is where I like to reflect on Tango and Cash, because this is a scene that almost beat for beat gives credit to that. It's really something worth noting. It's hard not to watch this film and just sit here and watch He's gone! He is gone! It is a rough ending. Uh, An end of the day. A uh, little, few people know. Interesting trivia is the Tekken Two is is set has been directed by uh, Olivier Megaton, 
Uh, he was actually caught on uh, the periphery of set masturbating uh, outside a chain link fence during the filming of the sequence. Yeah. Which is how he got his job. He, he actually came his resume into the sand at uh, producer Luke Bixon's feet. Now, you know, it's a, a common principle in horror films using prosthetics where they'll hire amputees to play victims of, uh, of hand choppings, leg choppings, face fuckings, all that kind of stuff. Tekken is no different. Um, they use Vic Morrow as the driver of that car. He was already prepared. It's, it's fantastic. Fantastic. you got to cut budget where you can. That's why they hired Liam Neeson instead of uh, Charles Martin Smith. Here we go. He's, he's, he's got this drugged up cunt. He's putting her in the car. He's going to save her. He's going to make her day better. Um, I think I think what this does is uh, his fatherhood is not misspent. He's a, he's a paternal in- individual. He wants to protect. He wants to save. He preferred to get paid for it, but he's a very fatherly figure for everyone except his daughter, who of course he, he just wants to fuck. Yeah. And I would say he's almost a fatherly figure for the world and his humanitarian efforts. We really see how he really truly cares about everyone across the board. Now uh, he's uh, he's at a house. Uh, he's visiting a man. He's leaving. Unbelievable amounts of tension in the scene. Yeah. Now, I know that you're familiar with commentary tracks. More often, there's a lot more dead air, a lot less information. Um, we, we feel your pain. There's nothing worse than watching a commentary track where people just say, <laughs> remember that day on set? Oh, God. Yeah, remember we ate shrimp? Oh, fucking A. This girl's receiving a needle. Not the first time. She lives in uh, Venice Beach, so let's just face it. Now, this is not this is not uh, medicine he's giving her. Um, that is actually... Let's see. Let's see the label. Yep, it's Fresca. Um, he's putting Fresca into this person. <laughs> yes. And uh, there was some high and mighty controversy about that. A lot of articles written about the chemical and scientific implications of, of what this movie was you know, telling people about rescuing sloppy, disgusting human beings from prostitution rings. Now, this, this pallid, comatose, boring lady... Um, uh, was hired for a song, um, which is good because if this were a Tim Burton film, that would have been Helena Bonham Carter. Always, every time. And the song that she's actually hired for is um, I Like Fresca in My Veins, which really goes well with this scene, but sadly wound up making the cut. Yeah. Yeah, you can catch it on the B side, uh, oddly, of the Transporter 3 soundtrack. Not a fan of B sides, Maggie Grace. Now Liam Neeson is crestfallen here. He's 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 starting to sink in that he's been running around the country also, s- this is, since this the is beginning Liam of the Neeson, film. This is not uh, in the script. This is Liam Neeson's actual phone ringing and him getting a call. It was very rude. We should all be offended. Yeah. Now here he's talking to the Kevin Spacey. See, he's he doesn't get fucked by anyone. He knows what's going on. He's always six he- steps ahead. Which is fantastic. It makes it makes you really understand why you should really kidnap the daughters of losers. I mean, if I was a kidnapper, I mean, this is the last guy I would steal. I'd steal. I'd steal like steal Michael J. Fox's daughter or something. I think that'd be a much safer bet. I think on the priorities list, you really do not want to cross Liam Neeson because as this film plays out in the overall, he truly is the one who does the fucking. Yeah. So you have to consider that. Plus, I mean, this actually, there was rival films in production. Um, there was one with Michael J. Fox, it was called Shaken. Yes. Um, now, this is where, like, 
this is where the uh, the European uh, origin of this film really shines through. Because they're not texting. They're having a, a man's conversation. Uh-oh. Do you see the wind blows the way it blows his hair? Yeah, it's Is that very, symbolic? Very, it's very delicate work. Uh, the subtext of that, you know, it, it could mean a lot of things. The, the composition of the scene obviously did not allow for uh, his just enormous, monstrous erection to be, to be composed. So the flapping hair was a way of kind of evoking a similar sentiment that he has a raging heart on. He descends, uh, and that is an homage to the movie The Descent. Oh, yes. Now, here's the scene where he uh, enjoys a drink and reads a novel. Um, probably a bad idea while your daughter is being raped. Yeah, that was actually a, a shot taken by the EPK crew. It's just a behind-the-scenes uh, cute moment. But Morell liked uh, the idea that he is so completely uninvested in this, this shitty woman. Is it funny that this lady at her sickest looks like Kristen Stewart at her best? Absolutely. I, I, I think that has a lot to say about American pop culture. She looks like Kristen Stewart. She does. Now, he's showing a photograph. He's saying, have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? But it's not even a picture of his daughter. He's just a huge fan of that fucking prostitute. Whoa, what the fuck? What the? Whoa, she's flashbacking. I don't remember this element. This is the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory scene where we sort of get a look of how he is related to Gene Wilder's character in the film, as noted. And once we get past that, we realize that everyone is indeed on acid at this point. It's funny that Charlie the Chocolate Factory, this actress, cannot get enough of being in movies with Charlie in the title. Uh, she was in the adult industry, and she was one of the three Charlie's Anals. And uh, she did a fantastic job. Um, that really set her up on the scene, I think. Uh, that got her noticed and, and kind of paved the way. That's certainly why Liam knows about her. Um, this extended scene here that we're seeing in which she's flashing back and everything, this is actually, uh, I would call, residue or just kind of a, a latent uh, a characteristics of this script. Uh, this was actually written originally as a, a very gritty, realistic, post-Nolan Yellow Submarine reboot. Um, and then uh, Neeson got his hands on the script. Morell caught on wind of it, and uh, it was rewritten as the the amazing thriller that it is. Uh, but so you're kind of seeing a, a little bit of, of that left over. This guy knows. Uh, this guy knows something's afoot because he introduced himself as Oscar Schindler, which is which is kind of funny because there's a recurring theme in Liam Neeson's career. Um, where he's uh, minding his own business and then he's required to save lives. Yes. Oftentimes against his will. Absolutely. Oftentimes from a list. Um, and I believe this scene was actually cut originally to the music of Franz Liszt, so the connection to Oscar Schindler is even more prominent. This man um, won't get another job looking like that. No, this is about all he was well suited for. Now this shot, this this was actually not shot in Michigan. Um, they actually built a set on the Mir space station just for this sequence here. That's why the budget skyrocketed. Absolutely, um, literally. You could see the way zero G's affects Liam Neeson's nostrils here. He's indeed. Uh, they they did it uh, because they were involving a lot of uh, of actors with severe medical issues that needed to. Uh, 
they needed a place where they could be in stasis while they performed. Um, but unfortunately, the production caused so much damage, and that is why Amir um, had to be decommissioned and ultimately crashed into the sea. Yeah, this uh, this was another one that was originally conceived as a musical number. Um, because uh, if you notice, he sips the coffee. There's a very musical balance to the way that this is edited. You you, you follow his coffee cup through the scene, um, and this song was actually to be performed by his coffee, um, and it would have it would have been so much better. I think this is a uh, it, now it comes off as just uh, let's 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 visit some Euro trash, but it really had some meat in its original concept. Absolutely. This is a this is a scene of delicate interplay. Uh, subtle suggestions. The performance of this of the scene took weeks to to hone. Love that smile. Those eyes. Those Irish eyes are smiling. This guy is known as the Scandinavian John Cazale. Um, uh, right up to the fact that he died shortly after the making of this film. Yes. And uh, in kind of a almost tragic mirror of John Cazale, he was actually involved only in. Absolute utter shit films. Yeah. Do you uh, think Liam Neeson four stinkers in a row? Uh, do you think Liam Neeson, Mr. Hawkins, um, chose the right outfit for this sequence? I don't like Brian in a tie. Brian in a tie doesn't really seem to fit properly. I think he tries to be the different kind of person that he is on his normal mission in this scene. He tends to um, uh, guest appearance by Bjork. Be a little more free, a little more uh, at ease when he is kicking ass. But here he seems more constrained, making him less of a threat than what he would normally be, putting him below these in his surroundings. And then when the tie comes off, it's back to game time. Yeah, that's 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 uh, allegorical too. Yeah, it's about this point in the film where we're, we're about a, what are we about? We're roughly uh, an hour an hour to the movie. Um, it's, it needs to take a break. It's been nonstop kicking everybody's ass and, and talking on the phone. So now we're kind of taking a breather. You know something's going to go down very soon. He's starting to flashback. This guy doesn't shave. Things are going to get fucked. Oh, and now he's putting two and two together. The voice he heard on the phone was this man's voice. Um, the details are starting to kind of really uh, clarify and wrap together. Um, we're seeing some of the momentum, delicate subtext set up earlier being paid off here. Uh, this is filmmaking. Is he a fucking entire room full of men? Of course, absolutely. Uh, that table stunt, again, weeks weeks of preparation. Uh, originally, you, you may have heard of, of a horror film tradition in which uh, different directors like Wes Craven and uh, have attributed uh, in kind of a playful way other horror films by having torn posters appear on the wall, kind of suggesting that their film is perhaps scarier than the, the one there that preceded it. Um, this film, uh, this, this sequence, you, you, I think we, we're past it now. You, you might want to rewind it back and take a look. Uh, there's actually a torn glitter poster on the wall, um, which also has the dual purpose of, of uh, at one point, Mariah Carey was, was, was set to, to appear uh, as the horror or scene earlier uh, dried up, cantankerous, um, but that did not work out. Her, her quote was too high, but they, it was too late to remove the poster from the scene. See, this is annoying because look at all the whores he's ignoring. Hornoring. Yeah, I mean, this. did he find what he thinks he found? He looks... It's got to be her. Oh, it is not. It is, in fact, Kristen Stewart again. 
every every I guess every girl looks like Kristen Stewart. I believe at this point is now. Let's face it. This is this. We may be due for another flashback here because audiences may not remember that this is the bitch that she was traveling with. This is her travel bitch. This is the girl who who was first accosted. Um, she is no more. Um, they have drugged her into a death, uh, and that tells you that his daughter could be next. This this obviously motivates him. It's truly difficult to, to even hazard a guess at how many foreign juices are flowing through around in about this poor woman. Um, yeah, I mean, like, but Neeson can sniff them all. Don't don't you worry. He knows every chemical in her. And he's ready to exact some justice. I mean, tapping a captured ass is is not unlike swishing around a sample of a new bottle of wine. You have to make sure it's got legs and that it works. Um, Very true. Very rarely does a chef send his dish out of the kitchen having not tasted it. Um, So that girl, let's put it this way, the autopsy is going to find about 250 million things. This is the interrogation scene um, ripped directly from the same exact shot-for-shot scene in 16 Candles. Absolutely. Uh, you, you can tell this is where the scene, or the, the film, really starts to unleash uh, some of its headier subtext of, of male American gr- repression and impotent father figures finally being allowed to, to really tear new assholes of the, the boyfriends that are just fucking beautiful young daughters left and right. Uh, this this is where it really starts to let it all out. This guy's uh, about to... He's crying. Uh, not because he's losing this battle, but because he's losing to a man named Brian. And uh, that's got to be demoralizing. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, Mr. Hawkins, uh, describe to us... Um, your 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 uh, your initial feelings upon leaving the theater having seen Tekken. Well, once I saw Tekken, I thought it was a very satisfying film. It was one that would definitely resonate with the culture globally. Required a sequel, but in regards to the main character Brian, I think that it was an excellent, excellent sequel to the life of Brian. Th- this guy has been electrocuted. Something fierce. He is, uh, there are, he knows what it's like to be hit in the face with a gun. This guy, first of all, uh, a makeshift electric chair is is something that's not used enough in film. And secondly, uh, the allegory of, of emptying and stuffing a man's mouth with cloth has been, uh, has been written about by smarter men than myself. But you gotta wonder what that thing smelled like at the end of the day. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people were upset by the scene, the mistreatment. It was uh, kind of overseen by the Humane Society. Uh, this European cock was, you know, fully treated well and humanely and killed and roasted and eaten by the crew uh, after the scene. So this is not just, you know, superfluous, fragrant, fragrant uh, abuse, and, yeah. you know. And that's why Vince Neil looks like he's put on some weight. Absolutely. Now here we reach uh, a sequence in the film uh, once he disposes of this man. If I remember right, I think he leaves him roasting. There, he's out of here. I believe that's much like Brian James in Horror Show or House 4, as it were. Yes. uh, Now, Kevin Spacey's coming home. This is one of my favorite moments in the film. Um, I'm a sucker for... First of all, I'm a sucker for... for ...has a baguette in his hand. 
um, it begets something else in the scene, and it's pretty interesting. Um, this is the infamous The Chicken Smells Great sequence, and uh, look who's here, Brian. Now, um, I, think, I think they proved uh, once again in uh, White Hunter Blackheart that if you're not getting what you want, the wife has to feel it. Absolutely. This scene illustrates such. Absolutely, and this is a, this is the scene that really touched off a lot of controversy as well, a lot of moral ambiguity, and you know things about torture and what links will a man go to, and these sort of things. They're all kind of come to a point in this scene. So you know, a lot of protest and, and anger over you know why would he choose a shirt of that color? Yeah. Now, um, th- this is funny because on the set, um, Liam Neeson was playing a joke whenever he was. Uh, not on on camera when he was just you know they were responding to him he kept saying how wet's your beaver how wet's your beaver to every character and it became like a running joke as a matter of fact the crew all has a shirt yeah that says Tekken how wet's your beaver um and finally at the end of the shoot she responded uh pretty wet yep she's got a wet one um at least at least you know being in this magical film they're eating dinner but the the Kevin Spacey knows Brian has got an agenda. Yeah, originally, the scene was going to revolve around kind of a solo referencing feast of shit, in which entirely feces-related dishes were being served. But uh, that was just a little too transgressive for American audiences. So again, it's another uh, post-production modification that you can find some rare European copies. You can see how it was originally intended. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's the that's why they cut the Natasha Henstridge cameo out of the film. Oh yeah, because that would have directly tied to, to species. And, it and nobody wants that. Nobody really did. Um, this guy's infuriated. Now, here's an interesting bit of trivia. Um, this was filmed uh, on sets that they didn't strike from Lonesome Dove. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. That's new to me. He's holding. He's got the gun on Liam. You thought you're like, has our hero finally met his match? Ah, but then, of course, we have the dramatic bullets on the table scene. He hurls them at him. Uh, Neeson was actually hoping to murder this person by hurling those bullets. There's the wife getting shot. And there we have it. Is that too soft of a response for when your wife gets shot? He calls him an asshole. Yeah, I mean, you would think the language would be a little stronger, but... uh, Yep. This is a, one of the go-tos. That said, nothing I think triggers data entry like a wife shooting. Absolutely, I do believe uh, French Kevin Spacey. He was trying to hide a little bit of excitement. Uh, you know, he and his wife in this film in the, the canon of the Tekken series have been married for a long time. There's of course a prequel co- graphic novel explaining how their marriage has gone a little soft and sour. So the uh, the prospect of a new hole definitely exciting for him yeah yeah uh and 22 sounds about right yeah um now here we go we enter um the sequence of the film inspired by babe pick in the city where people auction off other people right um now he once again brian is observing he's just an observer he's getting ready perhaps even making a few purchases off screen yeah that's that's a good call i mean he he does have access to the the lucrative xander berkeley allotment um, and this was shot in an actual uh, cunny auction. So, you know, the, what you're seeing here is very real things. They, they had to kind of ingratiate themselves into the society to 
to pull this off. A lot of difficult permits were obtained because this is all pretty real stuff. Accompanying them on the set, too, was the karaoke machine he bought for his daughter at the beginning. Uh, Liam Neeson would often regale crew members with uh, a very misty-eyed performance of Master of Puppets. Uh, also, uh, his crooning Irish brogue lent a very nice timber to uh, a variety of different songs from the Hoodoo Gurus, um, Jesus and Mary Chain, and most famously, which will be on the sequel to Duets, Liam Neeson sings um, uh, the the work of, uh, of Sheryl Crow. Uh, his voice perfectly matches Sheryl Crow. Maggie Grace would constantly do aha songs. Fomke Johnson was above karaoke. Xander Berkeley... Uh, funnily enough, um, did the Lucky Charms theme, which was not even available in karaoke until this movie was made. So good for us. If I remember right, I believe John Grise did an incredible rendition of Hot by Squirrel Nut Zippers. Speaking of, Liam Neeson is now entering the viewing chamber of human sales. Now this kind of stuff really happens. Um, what I didn't realize was that it's really happening right now in this house. Um, we're recording this uh, uh, on a sabbatical in in the beach, uh, and uh, literally bodies are being rented beneath us as we speak. Now, this actor here who plays the waiter is no longer in the film. Not at all. Uh, this man is not rewarded for a ponytail. As no man should be, I mean, frankly. Uh, I think Morel, he shaped that scene very carefully, and some of his true feelings are out. Uh, now we got some TNA. Um, this is the scene's, the film's most sensual sequence, I, I, in my personal opinion. This is, uh, I think this is, uh, this woman is, is for sale. Obviously, um, they didn't uh, starve this one. Ren, Ren if, you, if you had the resources uh, and were able to buy a woman um, like this, uh, what, what characteristics would you go for? Uh, frankly, I mean, we're, we're getting into some personal things here, but I, I, I appreciate, uh, very bark-like skin. Um, hair, I prefer to be some kind of, uh, you know, natural hue, uh, no blondes necessarily, but, uh, a nice rocky color. Um, and really any, anything that, anything that has multiple crevices, I, I'm a man of options, I like choices. Uh, I don't want to be restricted to, to just one point of entry. Uh, so, you know, anything that, any anything, object, person, dog, creature, woman, uh, that that fulfills those requirements, I, I'd probably be pretty interested in paying a pretty high price for. Same question to myself. Uh, I like to fuck a woman from an isometric, isometric perspective. So there's really only one angle that really matters to me. It's a, sort of a, of a cockeyed adjacent uh, glimpse. Uh, preferably from the side. Um, if it's tight, I'm in. That's the thing. I'll, I'll, I won't spend uh, anything less than, than, than the market value for a, a woman who, who I can inhale from a, from a distance. Maggie Grace has, has surfaced once again, so he's found his daughter. She is for sale, um, which, uh, which uh, does make us think that maybe this trip is worth it. For, for Brian. Now, of course, uh, again, we're getting into the American male subtext. Of course, we find out that because this daughter is <laughs> a virgin, uh, she's going to fetch a particularly high price and that the bidding war will escalate far more. So, again, we have a very self-aggrandizing subtext as this man's daughter uh, is both untouched but completely desirable, but only he can save her 
and fuck the bejesus out of her. Yeah, I don't like the fact that uh, Morel's uh, let the, the normal subtlety of this movie take a lapse when the villain was waiting outside the terminal of Virgin Airlines. Kind of cut through the chase a little bit, Mr. Hawkins. Um, the same question to you: If you were in the in the buying a, a piece of sniz business, uh, what would you be aiming for? Well, when I'm typically looking for the cash, I'm trying to usually use my typical interest of being a fan of Classic Newcomb High Part Two. Uh, my first thing that I always look for is a fully functioning oral orifice on the stomach. If it can talk to me and not resemble a belly button anyway, I'm sold. That's good. That's a good point. Um, now, which uh, would explain your long affair with James Woods in the early '90s. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I like guns. Uh, a similarity between both Liam Neeson and James Woods is that they are a member of the allegorical hung jury in Hollywood, men with large penises. Um, James Woods, unfortunately, has a fantastically huge penis, but a face that looks like the Mars rover needs to visit it. Liam Neeson is a striking man. Gifted with talent, height, and a goddamn penis, um, it's it's a, it, he's the perfect like mixture of skills for Hollywood. Uh, able to function in front of and behind the scenes, um, there are many people who have been conquests over the course of Liam Neeson's Dick's career. Uh, before his sad Natasha um, death, he gave Sandra Bullock everything he owned. Um, he put Emma Thompson underneath him. He's um, he's fucked quite a few, and uh, and that's not including um, Larry Drake. Now, if you'll remember, this is the sequence, uh, the film, uh, if you watched it during its original run, uh, you'll remember that it was presented in Spree D, uh, which was just a shameless corporate tie-in, and this is the point in the movie where every theater showing, midnight showing, was uh, given a dose of candy uh, to, to accentuate the action in the scene. It's a very uh, out-of-place, odd thing, but when your budget, you know, creeps up past the $780 million mark, you know, those are the kinds of deals that the devil you have to make. And let's, let's face it, these guys aren't that surprised to hear a gunshot. Um, that shit happens all the time. Yeah, European men bust like rockets, and there's a lot of ejaculation going on. Oh, Liam Neeson. What a champion he is for doing this. So great. Now, oh, that guy... <laughs> <laughs> that guy, interesting backstory, had nothing to do with this evil thing. He's going to get check his fucking email, and he gets shot in the eyes. It's okay, AOL user, fuck him. That's oh, and he's done. Look at the smile. This is when the pain wrangler on set. He his, his uh, job really amped up. He's talking to Liam. Liam's like, uh, he's giving him the thing. This guy's kind of trying to get one last thing out of his mouth before, you know, the inevitable happens. Liam needs... Boom! 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 That's a lot of boom. That is a lot of boom. Perhaps the most ruthless killing in the film. That is a tribute to The Getaway, uh, where Michael Madsen gets shot and the elevator descends. Um, This guy is taking charge. He's like, look, Liam Neeson's shooting everybody. We need to get the fuck out of here. It's about time. The film, Brian has just kind of cruised through. It's about charge. One of the bad guys kind of taken in charge and and gave him something to, to go against, something challenging. There need to be some stakes. We need to think for even a second that he may not get his daughter home in a way where they can enjoy each other uh, unadulterated. You would think stakes would be a part of their catering um, for the film since the budget was so high. This uh, is where uh, admissions were made to, to Neeson's anti-vehicle policy. 
Uh, so, whole hell of a lot of hauling ass. He wants to prove that he can do everything a car can, uh, right up to the point of getting six miles per gallon. He, um, one of the riders in Liam Neeson's contract was that they do not have the typical craft services. They can only eat things that were seen on screen in Papillon. So, I think they pulled that off famously. Absolutely. This is, this is a yacht. This is a technical term for that kind of a boat is a yacht. Um, and, uh, he wants on. There's no doubt. Do you have, uh, oh, the car, uh, so much violence. Do you, th- now, are you offended at this sheer violence, Restoran? Oh, God, I mean, this is, again, where the film, you know, I was just not interested, you know. This violence, it's it's intense, it's rough, it's unnecessary. This answers the age-old question, does Liam Neeson have an innie or an Audi? <laughs> Indeed. Mr. Hawkins, um, would you drive this car the same way? I would. Um, All right, good. <laughs> Liam Neeson, uh, he's so versatile. Very versatile. I think what we have in this scene is the actual uh, take from the original script that we were discussing earlier, where even though he is in a car, he himself is the actual vehicle, almost a vehicle of destruction and uh, justice. Also a ve- vehicle of, of craft services eaten. Liam Neeson would spend a, a, an, an amazing amount of time at the trailer feeding on fucking muffaletta, soup, whatever he can get his fucking Irish teeth on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there we have another you know montage of... Bullshit, action, cars, nonsense, and now we get back into the, the really sensual, meaty. Yeah, meaty it's thing. good to see Pearl from Blade getting work. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the just seeing him engorge on girls, just yummy. I don't know. The problem is Neeson did not bring his flashlight, so we're gonna have to uh, really get into some interesting plot development here. That stunt uh, actually killed Neeson. Um, <laughs> the uh, the only reason the movie, the production was able to continue is that uh, you know uh, they brought in he, uh, they were shocked him back to life he punched a few people killed them was put down by security brought back to life again they were able to finish production. Yeah. He uh, after this film he got an actual sponsorship from Resurrection Salts. Now here is uh, a bunch of. Um, uh, of um, veiled women being ushered around the boat, slang. You know what I hate about sheiks? They f- they sit around in their fucking fancy clothes, having things brought to them. You never see a sheik wake up in the middle of the night and get his own food out of the fridge, and you certainly never see a sheik on the treadmill. I think what they were intending with the girls on this boat was to take them directly to the Maharaja of Magador. But what we have is Liam Neeson truly doing his best in the meat and potato famine of what his character actually is. Yeah, they did a uh, satire on that scene uh, where they take him to the Sheik with Jonah Hill and Russell Brand. Oh, yeah, that was that was a good one. It was a good funnier-die type sketch. There goes more wounds. These guys, uh, he's emptying bellies. Liam Neeson... Uh, he holds a grudge. Yeah. Uh, and again, lest you think that this On VHS, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> uh, lest you think that this is not uh, a pandering 
journey through the American male mind. Again, brown man taking your daughter, going to put his meats all over in her, uh, slobber her up, uh, and you get to dive behind couches and kill dudes uh, to I, save her. If I had a dollar for every time a guy gets secreted into the foot, I mean, Miller's crossing, There's a, he's under the shoots a guy under the bed in the foot, makes him fall down, shoots him in the head, taken to the Greek... The Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Midnight in Paris. Wally. A lot of glass. The glass shattering budget. Huge on this. Uh, again, another just another reason why the cost skyrocketed. I think it would be funny as hell is that at this point he had enough. He's like, all right, I'm not going to continue looking for my daughter. <laughs> I'm fucking done. This is it. I mean, I feel like they lost a big opportunity there. Um, if he had just brought it to the right at the moment where he needed to murder one last person and was just unable, I think that would say a whole lot more about America, about the world, about men, about goats. I don't, I don't know if you realize, every single man he murders in this film was once a child, has parents that love them, um, read Highlights magazine. Nothing's changed. These people are, are, are people. There's no reason to treat them so grievously do you think this guy uh, which martial art is this man a master of bottle recipient I believe something like that it might be the art of dying yeah, we're about uh, to see uh, any moment now well he's got a black gone. fucking belt gone Tekken that might have been the mid-level boss I believe so uh, although Neeson didn't have to hop on top of him three times oh here we go Probably not the most intimidating final villain you could possibly imagine. I mean, this guy... And let's face it. If the bullet doesn't kill him, the blocked artery's gonna. Yeah. And that's the end of his murdering in this film. I think, does he fuck anybody else up? Uh, I think at this point, only the daughter. Yeah. All he has left is to examine every inch of her to make sure... Uh, she she's cleansed. Yeah, I mean, this is he's like uh, she's like. Can we leave? She he's like. I've got one more little man to see on the boat. <laughs> oh man, uh, the black light. Putting a black light on this set would make uh, Caruso just so excited. Robinson. Um, so they're they're not really on a boat in this sequence. If you notice, there's no real movement to the camera. Um, this was shot. Um, if you if you if you time this perfectly, this was shot uh, in the same set that they shot the Princess Bride. I believe also Joe's apartment as well. Poor. Yeah, that's an interesting crossover story. That's to tell you that they really haven't left Detroit at all. Fomke and Xander are waiting. Now here's an interesting story. Um, the sequel to Tekken features Fomke back rekindled with her husband. Is this because Xander Berkeley was too expensive? is because killing an entire like discipline of people endears you to your fallen loved ones? Or, or is there something that maybe they both wanted Maggie Grace to themselves? Maybe. Uh, you'll notice uh, this is another change from the, the very, very first draft, which I preferred, as if you uh, saw the scene. Uh, Neeson actually walked up and, and bent over his, his ex-wife's new husband, just flipped him around, bent him over without missing beat, and just entered him. Uh, there was no thrusting, no movement. He simply penetrated, 
and sat. Uh, and the scenic description had him staring awkwardly into the camera. And for the credit, and, and, and then the credits roll. Exactly. Uh, so I, I, I kind of, uh, I wish that ending was still was still present. This is just, frankly, then, this is gay. And then, and then, yeah. and then a scene at the end where, like, they're still they're still uh, in in coital pause. Um, and then Nick Fury recruits them at the, yes. after the credits. Um, and you see the, you know, his reflection in the glass uh, shows the duality of the character. Um, part of him is, is a fun-loving murderer of men, and another part of him uh, is, is uh, Sagittarius. And I believe, again, that reflects back on the fact that Famke in the film is the ego, and his duality is caught between the id and the superego, reflected back upon his kick-assery and this scene is just really i don't care yeah well no i think it's important to know that um somebody's fucking epiglottis is going to be swinging around real hard well the subtext of the scene is uh boom tekken now god <sighs> i feel purged look at that sharing david right warshawski Oh my God! What a great movie! Do you it th- is now the the word on the street is that, that Tekken Two is disappointing. Is that correct, Mister Brown? Uh, that's what I've heard from all. Uh, does that bother you? Did you have high expectations? Uh, I did, and I did not. Um, I was really hoping for some great Nissan action, some great Tekken. I was hoping that we might see some of the edgier elements of the original ideas for Tekken maybe uh, revisited, but from what I understand, it's just a big old pile of uh, balls. So I guess that just basically tells us Olivier Megaton is uh, who you bring in to fuck things up. That, that, that's the suggestion. Uh, great name, great ass, but terrible filmmaker. Um, uh, Robert Mark Kamen, who wrote this film, wrote a bunch of seminal movies, including the Karate Kid series back in the 80s. Oh, fascinating. That's trivia. Uh, Nathan Rippey plays Victor. No relation to Leon Rippey, unfortunately. Sadly. Yeah, um, but uh, he's his son. So if you notice the abundance of people with dumb names in the credits, it's because these are not Americans. They're reptiles. No, they're, they're, it's, there's way too many weird punctuations in these credits for, for me to feel really safe. Tired? I mean, I, I'm already dealing with Frenchmen trying to come over to this country and take my jobs. Um, I can't handle seeing them in the, in the credits of a film that's a guaranteed hit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for the vast duration of this commentary, I've been surgically implanting an iron bar in my own leg, so I'm, I'm excited to go off and, and see what the implications of that are going to be for me and my loved ones and, and my fellow podcasters here. Now, if you were, if you were to recommend for uh, the next commentary track for us to do um, upon our return to the homeland... Um, uh, what things come to mind? I was thinking uh, the Osterman Weekend might be a good choice. Um, That's uh, there's definitely some meaty things to talk about. Um, that one. I think I have a lot to say about the um, the similarities between Swamp Thing and Wings of Desire. Um, I think um, I think we could really tear into Six Days Seven Nights. Yeah, um, I think. Um, I think there's no shortage of, of really ripe material to be plucked from a screening of, um, of Iron Man 2, as well as um, Condor Man. Yeah, I, I would really like to, to, to maybe take a look back in the, on The Phantom. Uh, there's a lot of uh, things about punching rings and, and purple spandex that 
Uh, I don't know. They really get me energized. Um, I, I would like to watch the unofficial remake of Eating Raul. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, it's called Milk. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, another another film that would be worth giving a chance to, something that fits the Chud motif fairly well, uh, would be uh, a double feature of Antichrist and Time Rippers. Oh, yes. That'd uh, be superb. Uh, I got to say, uh, I've been hearing great word on uh, there's a feature-length supercut uh, that captures every time that James Gandolfini has sweat on film. Uh, I think that would be one that we could really do something with. I think uh, our political backgrounds would be very advisable in revisiting um, uh, Batman Forever. I think that um, if we were to probably give a chance to the Craig Sheffer ep- epic, that was then, this is now. And and uh, I think uh, I think Freebie and the Bean is definitely up for a Chud commentary. You as a, as a fan of Chud and as a as a, a member of the family, is there anything that you think that we should really address with our next patch? Well, I think um, like you were saying, some double features would be great. Uh, I'd like to see maybe Pasolini's um, Salo or the 120 Days of Sodom followed by Flatliners. That's fucking stupid. Maybe, but I also think uh, to follow up that to chase it and make it better, possibly Phantasm Two and. Produco Fellini's Satyricon. That's fucking great. Um, I also find uh, that the, there's a lot... Of, we can actually overlap two movies and, re- and commentary them at the same time. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, there's not. It's not a coincidence that the running time um, for Lost Boys, The Tribe, and um, Finding Nemo are identical. Yes. I, I think that, um, the, that the, uh, the Paris Hilton sex video would benefit from our words absolutely um, i think we could take this on the road maybe get it into a theater a movie in theaters perhaps uh marmaduke when that finally hits we could you know surround ourselves with some with some children and and pull it out that sounds good i think uh, we could do a disney uh montage uh, notice uh the the producers wish to thank here is filled with some interesting brands or china samsung cargo uh dicks.com yeah. Slamming doors. Uh, good evidence that this is not an American film. The website is www.tekken-lefilm.com. Yeah, that's uh, that's a. I believe that is Central Asian. I believe. So this is uh, the Chud Crew signing off on a uh, uh, very informative, 100% unscripted, shocker <laughs> commentary track. If you like it, tell the world. If you hate it, let's face it, you're probably right. <laughs>